It's Tuesday, October the 26th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a coup in Sudan and Tesla joins the $1 trillion club. First, the world in brief. Sudan's army fired live ammunition at protesters demonstrating against an ongoing coup by the armed forces. Earlier, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan declared a state of emergency and dissolved the transitional administration that he had led. It was supposed to shepherd the country towards democracy following the ousting of Omar al-Bashir, Sudan's longtime dictator, in 2019. The Prime Minister, Abdullah Hamdok, several other ministers and pro-democracy leaders have been seized by the army. Tesla's market capitalization surpassed $1 trillion on Monday after Hertz, a car rental company, announced that it would buy 100,000 Tesla Model 3s to electrify its fleet. Tesla is worth more than the next nine most valuable listed car makers combined. But it is not all smooth driving. America's chief transport safety investigator scolded the firm for having failed to implement its safety recommendations. The Biden administration announced new requirements for foreign travellers coming to America as it prepares to reopen its borders on November 8th. Most will need to be fully vaccinated, with jabs authorised by the World Health Organization. Those under 18 or travelling from any of 50 countries where vaccines are mostly unavailable will be exempt. Everyone will require a negative COVID test. Bidding is open for The Economist's quote non-fungible token, NFT, the cover image that accompanied our recent article about decentralised finance and the cryptoverse. The highest bid is currently 7.26 Ether, $31,000. The auction will run for 24 hours until October 26th at 5pm BST, noon EDT, 9am PDT. Proceeds will benefit the Economist Education Foundation, an independent charity that teaches young people to analyse current affairs. Facebook reported lower-than-expected revenues of $29 billion in the most recent quarter, but beat profit forecasts at $9.2 billion. The social media firm warned of, quote, significant uncertainty ahead in its ad business, given Apple's decision to let iPhone users opt out of tracking by apps for ad targeting. Separately, Facebook endured a series of unflattering stories by various news outlets, based on leaks by an employee turned whistleblower. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, walked back a threat to expel ambassadors from 10 Western countries, including America and France, after they promised not to interfere in Turkey's domestic affairs. The diplomats had earlier called for the release of Usman Kavala, a businessman and activist whom Turkish authorities have detained for four years on suspicion of having supported a coup attempt in 2016. With winter around the corner, the UN warned that Afghanistan's food crisis could lead to millions starving. It's said that almost 23 million people, more than half the population, are facing acute food insecurity. The executive director of the UN's World Food Programme, David Beasley, said that Afghanistan is now, quote, among the world's worst humanitarian crises, if not the worst. Greenhouse gas concentrations reached a record high last year, 
and increased faster than their average annual growth rate over the past decade, the UN's weather agency said. Last year, emissions dropped during COVID-19 lockdowns, but that had no, quote, discernible impact on the relative quantity of heat-trapping carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide in the atmosphere. Fact of the day. 1.4 million, the estimated number of pre-sold homes Evergrande, a troubled Chinese developer, owes to buyers. And correction. Our penchant for alphabetized lists led us to mistakenly imply that Slovenia borders Moldova in Friday's edition of Espresso. The two countries are rather far away from one another. Sorry. And now here's today's agenda. Shadows lengthen. A coup in Sudan. It is back to the barricades for Sudan's beleaguered pro-democracy activists. On Monday, the generals who had supposedly been sharing power with civilian leaders since the overthrow in 2019 of Omar al-Bashir, a ruthless Islamist despot, mounted a coup. Abdallah Hamdok, the civilian prime minister, has been detained. So have many of his colleagues, dragged from their homes in dawn raids. Roads and bridges in Khartoum, the capital, are closed. Flights are suspended. The internet is switched off. Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, the top general and de facto president, dissolved the government and declared a state of emergency. Mr Hamdok's allies, meanwhile, have called for civilians to take to the streets and reclaim, quote, their revolution from the thieves. Thousands have done so. The health ministry says at least seven were killed in clashes on Monday and more are sure to brave bullets in the week ahead. Sudan, until recently a source of relative hope in a troubled region, is sliding back to the dark days of military rule. Get them while they're young. America considers vaccinating children. An expert advisory panel for America's Food and Drug Administration meets on Tuesday to discuss Pfizer-BioNTech's application for authorization to give its two-dose COVID-19 vaccine to children between the ages of 5 and 11. A report from the FDA last week said the vaccine's efficacy rate in young children was 90.7% against symptomatic infection seven days after they got the second dose. Children are less likely than adults to die of the virus, but infection can still cause long-term illness. Advisors to America's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will share their thoughts on the application in the first week of November. Then the agency's director will decide whether or not to actually recommend use of the vaccine. Anthony Fauci, chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, has said that if regulatory approval is granted, vaccines could become available for younger children early next month. Diluting justice. Brazil's COVID-19 inquiry. Last week, Brazil's Senate inquiry into the pandemic was poised to call for 11 charges against Jair Bolsonaro, the president, relating to COVID-19. But less than 24 hours before the final reading of the investigation report, mentions of genocide of indigenous people and homicide were cut from the list. 
On Tuesday, the outcome of the six-month inquiry could be watered down further. The report will face a vote in the Senate, where it must obtain support from the majority of the 81 lawmakers. Those senators may modify the thousand-page document, though the investigation's leaders claim the remaining charges against the president, which include crimes against humanity and irregular use of public funds, will survive. Even if approved by the Senate, prosecution is unlikely. The Attorney General is a loyal Bolsonaro appointee. And Brazil's lower house will probably not impeach the president. It has previously stalled almost 140 such petitions against him. Whatever the outcome, Mr Bolsonaro will be protected. Brace positions. Heathrow's results. Heathrow reports its earnings for the third quarter of 2021 on Tuesday. One of Europe's busiest airports, it has had a bumpy ride during the pandemic thanks to successive lockdowns and travel restrictions. In July, it put its cumulative losses from COVID-19 at £2.9 billion, $4 billion. Passenger numbers in September were just 38% of the total in December 2019. But a much-needed boost is on its way from the Civil Aviation Authority. Last week, the British regulator proposed allowing Heathrow to raise its landing charges, currently £22 per passenger, by as much as 56% over the next five years. Unsurprisingly, airlines, which already pay more to land at Heathrow than they do almost anywhere else, oppose the hike. The airport had wanted to nearly double its fees, but an upgrade to premium economy is better than none at all. America's first modernist? The Brief Life of Stephen Crane Paul Auster, an American author, is not known for biographies. He found critical acclaim exploring American identity in the New York trilogy of novels. In his latest work, he has changed tack and delved into the life of a neglected American journalist. Burning Boy, published on Tuesday, considers Stephen Crane, a writer who died of tuberculosis in 1900, aged just 28. As a cub reporter for the New York Tribune, he inadvertently upset the 1892 presidential election. One of his articles caused such offence that it besmirched the reputation of Whitelaw Reed, the paper's owner and Republican candidate for vice president. He covered the Spanish-American War of 1898 and then the Cuban War of Independence, during the course of which he survived a shipwreck. But the biography focuses on Crane's novels. Works such as Maggie and George's Mother, both snapshots of tenement life on Manhattan's Lower East Side, make him, quote, the first American modernist, according to Mr. Auster. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Georges Danton, who was born on this day in 1759. After bread, education is the first need of the people. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, 
you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 